Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Are you thankful that we have that living hope? That Christ has conquered the grave and that that first breath in his resurrected body is the assurance, the the promise, the hope that we too, though we will die, will breathe again, will live again, and we will reign with him forever and ever in a new heavens and a new earth. God is fitting us for that creation. Uh, Would you pray with me? As we dive into God's Word this morning. God, we give you praise for who you are. And we give you praise for the promise and hope of the Gospel. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see the beautiful things in your Word. And ultimately, God, that we would behold Christ. And in the hearing of these words, God, that you would make us more like Jesus, the living Word. For his glory and our good and the good of all peoples, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Philemon, little book, is where we're going to be camped out for the next several weeks. And today I'm going to introduce to you the book of Philemon as best I can. If, if we liken a sermon to, to the feeding of God's people, today is more setting the table than feeding. And so you think about Thanksgiving meals, somebody's got to set the table. And so I'm going to really preview or introduce the book and then we'll begin to feed and to feast more in earnest in the weeks to come, although I hope, hope today that we will uh, feed on God's Word at least a little bit as well. But I praise God that Jesus conquered the grave and that that reorients our perspective in life and in death and in a million other ways. And we're going to consider some of those important ways that God, through Christ, reorients the way that we see life, the way that we tackle life, the way that we pursue relationships, and we're going to do that from this little book of Philemon. If you're having trouble finding Philemon, it's because it's so short. It's 25 verses, 335 words in the Greek, and unless you have one of those mega print Bibles, it usually only takes up one page in your Bible. So you get to the T's of the New Testament, right? First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and then there's Philemon, right? So all the T books, then Philemon, and then you get to Hebrews. So if you get to Hebrews, you've been too far. And if you were with us in our series through Hebrews, just keep flipping backwards till you get to Philemon. It's it's a tiny little letter. It's Paul's shortest letter, and yet his most personal letter. And although it is short, it is not lacking for interpretive complexity. In other words, it's, it's difficult to understand. Which is why, as Douglas Moo writes, most Christians have never studied Philemon, and many have never heard it taught or preached. And yet, here we go. I've chosen this little letter because I believe we are living, at least in my lifetime, in the most divided time I've ever seen or experienced in my life. I'm only 42. Perhaps some of you have experienced uh, greater division in our culture and our society, and, and maybe it's just me, but I feel as I look at social media, or if I listen to the news, or even sometimes just in a parking lot outside of a retail 
store, it, it feels like we're surrounded by this pressure to accept that we have to be divided on the world's terms. That, that we, we have to love our tribe and embrace our tribe and attack everyone else who's not in our tribe. Are, are y'all here? Maybe that's just me. I, I mean, there's, there's memes and I'm like, hey, I am that guy. I feel attacked right now. And yet, Jesus has called me to love you. You need the gospel as much as I needed the gospel. And so, so how am I going to work through this? Am I going to live in angst and, and the anger of our culture and, and the first thing out of my mouth is what passed through my mind and I'm going to lash out at you just like you lashed out at me? Are we, as the people of God, going to accept the world's narrative that we just have to hate everybody that's not like us? Or is there a different and better way? And I believe that Philemon shows us that, that we've got to pursue life differently than the world is telling us to pursue it. And the, the world wants us to retreat. The world wants us to accept defeat. But I believe Philemon shows us that we do not have to accept being divided on the world's terms, but rather we can be united with people who are very unlike us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I speak of unity, I want to be clear, I'm not speaking of a unity in the church that says doctrine does not matter. There's this, this move in our world to just sort of say, well, if you know Jesus or believe something about Jesus, then, then doctrine doesn't matter at all. Just, just talk about Jesus and leave the details alone. That doesn't matter. That's not what I'm talking about. You can't love and serve Jesus in a doctrineless church. You have to affirm and know what Jesus has said and, and pursue what He said in His Word. And so, I, I'm not talking about bringing all the denominations together. Denominations, a lot of people see, think they create division. They actually create unity. And here's how they create unity, because within the covenanted community, there is a statement of faith that the church is organized around and saying this is how we understand God's Word. And we may have some brothers and sisters over in this camp and over in this camp, but when it comes to planting churches and affirming one another and calling pastors and raising up Sunday school teachers, this is who we are, this is what we believe, because we believe it's the best representation of God's Word. And so I'm not calling for an ecumenical view of the church this morning. I want to be clear about that. Doctrine does matter, all right? But within the context of understanding that doctrine matters, we still have a passion, or at least we should still have a passion, to reach all kinds of people for our King who are right now outside of the family of faith. We cannot retreat from that mindset. We are a great commission people. We are going after people who right now hate us because we love them. Are y'all here? Is this on? Is this working? I can't stand these masks, man. I, I'm like, are you there? So in Philemon, what we're going to see is that the gospel supernaturally, not, not in the world's terms, supernaturally, God through the, the preaching of the gospel and the hearing of the gospel and the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit puts together people who have very little else in common. This is going to be a story about an, the Apostle Paul, a runaway slave, and his slave master, and how they all come together for the sake of the gospel. Ruprecht, a, a commentator, says this, Paul, Philemon, the slave master, and Onesimus, the runaway slave, are real-life characters in a real-life drama of profound social significance. The Bible talks about reconciliation, right? The coming together of people who otherwise would be apart, except for 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it seems so abstract. Well, sure, I'll love everybody and that sort of thing. This is a real story of real people that shows us how the gospel works. Each one of these characters has heard the claims of the faith from a totally different background. Paul was a rigorous Jew. Philemon was a wealthy Asiatic Gentile. Onesimus was the most despicable of all the creatures in that day, a runaway slave. And they find themselves brought together by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe the gospel can still do that today? Philemon reminds us that no matter how divided it seems our world is, that we have been given the message and the mission of reconciliation to others who are far from God and far from us. When you become a believer, a Christian, God puts you into a community of other Christians called a local church. And it is primarily in being part of a local church that we give ourselves to Jesus the King. How? By giving ourselves to one another and to those who are still far from God as we lay down our lives that they would be welcomed in. It is in the church where we see the power of the gospel to bring people together in deep community. The world tells us that we are supposed to hate people from other tribes. But the Bible tells us that Jesus came to make a new people out of every tribe and tongue and language and nation and situation and station in life. In Ephesians 2, Paul tells us about the radical, deep, unlikely reconciliation that Jesus gives Jews and Gentiles hated each other. Jews called Gentiles dogs. And then the gospel comes into the situation. And in Ephesians 2, Paul says, Jew and Gentile are brought near to God and united in one family, one church. How? By the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who made both groups that were very separated into one. And here's what I want to tell you, church family. If the gospel in the first century put Jews and Gentiles together for the glory of Jesus, then the, surely the gospel can put together rich and poor in our day. If the gospel put Jews and Gentiles together in the first century, surely it can put together young people and old people and in-between people. I was thinking about that line this morning as I got up and I thought, you know, I used to preach about the reconciling power of the gospel to bring together young and old and always thought of myself as young, but now I'm I'm more on the in-between side, and my son tells me often on the basketball court that I'm old. The gospel brings together all different kinds of people. It brings together Jew and Gentile, black and white, red, yellow, and I submit to you, church, if it can bring together Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, young and old, it can bring together hymns and praise courses. And if we reject that, if we endeavor to live divided by our preferences on Sunday morning, I honestly wonder if we've really yet heard and understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Philemon provides for us is a real-life illustration of how the gospel should lead us to lay down what seems naturally best to us to love another for the sake of Christ and the good of His church. 
Is this still on? In the background of this letter is the story of a slave or a house servant, verse 16, named Onesimus, who leaves his wealthy master. Now when we hear the word slave, what do we think of naturally as people living in the United States of America? We think of the Civil War. We think of the involuntary enslavement of people almost exclusively from one ethnic background. We think of African Americans. Slavery in the ancient world, however, was not like slavery in the history of the United States. It, it impacted people from all different ethnic groups. When you think of slavery, don't think, oh, that's just people from one ethnic group. It could have been you, it could have been me, it could have been any of us. It was red, yellow, black, white. Many different ethnic groups were enslaved. In fact, uh, the church that's being written to is, is a church in Colossae. And about a third of the people living in Colossae in the first century would have been slaves. And most of them would have been slaves not involuntary, involuntarily, like they were captured and sold into slavery, but instead they sold themselves into slavery as a way to avoid poverty and death. So it wasn't exactly analogous to slavery in the United States of America. Indeed, the sort of slavery that was practiced in the United States is condemned by the Bible. I don't know why our Christian southern forebears missed it, but in 1 Timothy 1.10, when Paul talks about slavery, he talks about kidnappers or slave traders, and he lumps them in with the ungodly and the sinful and the whole unholy and the religious. As we will see later in this series, because of what Christ has done in Onesimus' life, Paul is going to urge Philemon, the slave master, to see his runaway slave, not as a runaway slave, but as his brother. Philemon was one of those few Christians in the first century who was wealthy enough to own slaves and to host a church in his own home. Perhaps the whole church at Colossae got its start in Philemon's home during Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus. Paul's ministering in Ephesus for three years. A young man named Epaphras comes to saving faith in Christ. He goes down to Colossae and plants a church, likely the church that is meeting in Philemon's house. When Onesimus leaves Philemon's home, he has either intentionally stolen from Philemon or made a costly mistake. We know that because down in verse 18 it talks about what Onesimus owes to Philemon. So Onesimus, he either flees intentionally, running away from with what he has stolen, or he flees because he's made a mistake. If he flees his master and has defrauded him or stolen from him, then he is a runaway slave and under Roman law that is punishable by death. The other option is that he's looking for a mediator. Maybe he's heard Philemon in the house church praying and talking about Paul and his imprisonment and, and begging God that God would release Paul from prison. And, and maybe he's heard about this apostle who's respected in the church and in the home. And maybe he says, I'm going to go find this Paul guy and get him to mediate between me and my master. We're not sure which is the situation, but Rome, where Paul was likely in prison, was a long way from Colossae, and yet he makes it all the way to Paul. We're not exactly sure why. Maybe he began, maybe he began as a runaway slave, and as he was running away, he began to feel the, the guilt and the weight of his actions and wonder what he could do, and he's like, well, I can't go back to Philemon, so maybe I'll go find this guy, Paul. 
However it is, he, he gets to Paul. And when Onesimus gets to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul gets Onesimus to Jesus. And then Onesimus, whose name means useful, and though he had been useless to Philemon of late, he becomes very useful to Paul. Verse 11. We don't know exactly what that means. Likely he was assisting Paul with his physical needs while he was under house arrest. Probably helping to share the gospel story while Paul was under house arrest. While the salvation of Onesimus is wonderful news, it brings some really challenging circumstances into the forefront. You see, Paul now has Onesimus, a new convert in the faith, and he's in prison, and Onesimus is useful to him. And Paul would have preferred to have just kept Onesimus right there with him in prison. Well, why don't you just stay here and help me out? You're doing a great job. But Roman law says you've got to go back to your master and make things right. So Paul has to do what he doesn't want to do. He's got to send Onesimus back. And to be sure, Onesimus would have rather stayed with Paul as well than go back and face the master that he either made a big mistake with or that he intentionally stole from and defrauded. And then when Onesimus gets there to Philemon, as we're going to see in the next few sermons, Paul's going to say to Philemon, hey, just ignore what has happened and receive Onesimus as your brother in Christ. In every situation in this story, the gospel-motivated thing to do is not what anybody would naturally want to do. Did you know that it's like that in the family of God? Did you know that's what it takes to reconcile and be united in the gospel? Gospel Gospel-driven relationships often require that we crucify what we naturally want in order to honor the one who was crucified to make us his own. So now that we've sort of summarized the story of the runaway slave who gets to Paul and is sent back to his master, let's actually get into the text this morning, verses 1 through 3. And we're going to begin to hear what the book of Philemon shows us about reconciliation, about coming together, about gospel-driven relationships. Hear with me the Word of God. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. In these opening verses of Philemon, Paul shows us three things about being a church that puts on the reconciling power of the gospel, that puts that power on display. First, we must approach one another in humility. Paul is modeling humility for us at the beginning of his letter. He does not call himself Paul an apostle, but instead Paul a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He writes into this incredibly delicate situation in which he's going to ask a defrauded slave master to receive back his slave as a brother, and he's seeking a gospel-driven resolution rather than a my turf, my stuff, my rights decision. And so Paul embodies the humility that he's going to ask Onesimus and Philemon to show to one another. As an apostle, Paul has the authority to command what he wants from Philemon. But instead of using his apostolic authority, he instead reminds Philemon, look, I'm in prison for the sake of the gospel, so what I'm about ready to ask you to give up 
is nothing that I'm not already familiar with. I owe my life to Jesus, and I'm in prison for him. You owe your life to Jesus, so forgive your new brother in Christ. Glorifying Jesus is often costly, isn't it? It humbles us. It may even land us in prison. Before Paul tells Philemon, I I have your runaway servant who stole from you and I want you to receive him with open arms like a brother, he reminds Philemon that he has also paid the price for following Jesus. He is in prison. Yes, Paul could have come to Philemon as an apostle, but instead he comes as a prisoner. He empties himself. Paul empties himself of his rights to compel Philemon to waive his rights as well. Humility is not just for Paul and for Philemon, it's for all of us. It's for apostles and slaves and masters and teens and teachers and young adults and young at heart. Notice, Paul does not call himself a prisoner of Rome or a prisoner of Caesar, but instead a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Do you have that perspective on your problems? Do you have that perspective on your challenges that wherever you are right now, whatever's going on in your life, that Christ Jesus is still in control? We know that Jesus didn't literally put Him in prison. Rome put Him in prison. And yet He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. God is sovereign. He's over all. He understands what's going on. And so I'm not going to relate to you, Philemon, out of what you owe me or what I owe you. I'm I'm not going to... Look at my problems and let my problems define my perspective. I'm going to look to my king and understand that my king is still in control and I am willing to die to myself for the sake of the gospel and the good of the church because it's Jesus who is over all of this. I tell you what, that perspective, it'll change your marriage. It'll change your interpersonal relationships in church. It'll change the dynamics in your home between children and parents. When whatever that situation is that's come up, rather than grabbing at it and saying, I'm entitled because of it. Paul could have said, look at me, I'm a prisoner. And now I want to get out of you what I want from you because my life is so miserable and now you owe me something. Instead, Paul is saying, look, it's under the lordship of Jesus. Do you see your life in that way? Because Jesus gave His life for you, because He's... He gave His all for you that you now have been freed to give of yourself for the good of others. He begins in humility. Secondly, Paul shows us that we must understand our personal relationships, that they impact others in the family of faith. After Paul calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he then adds in that His apostolic delegate in the faith, young Timothy, was right there with him. Paul has invited Timothy into the situation. What Paul is about to ask of Philemon is not just from Paul's heart, but it's from Timothy's heart as well. It's a a big deal. This call for the reconciling power of the gospel to have its way in Philemon's life and in the church is such a big deal that Paul, even though he's an apostle, says to Timothy, hey, pray with me about this intercede with me about what's going on at this church because it has huge implications for the gospel. And you know what Paul asked the church to do is pretty radical. He says, I want wealthy and slave and in-between to come together in one church. Now you know, there's a whole leadership segment in church life today that rejects what Philemon is showing us. 
just, just segment based on your interest. Have a cowboy church, a motorcycle church, a rich per, a person's church, a poor church, a middle class church. Everybody go have your own little church based on your own little agenda that has nothing to do with Christ and then add Jesus on top. Are, are you all here this morning? Am I the only one that's seen this? That is not the gospel. That would have been a whole lot easier. Hey, Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back and he's going to run a slave church and you keep running the wealthy church. And he doesn't say that. He says, y'all get together in the gospel. There are books written by... I won't name their names, but well-named people who basically tell us, you know what we need to do? We need to go reach Roanoke Rob and Roanoke Roberta. You know who Roanoke Rob and Roberta are? They're people that look just like you. They sound just like you. They put their radio on the same station you do. They watch the same news channels, and they believe politically just like you do, and everything is exactly the same. Just go reach everybody that's exactly the same, and then leave everybody else who's different over there to do their different thing, and then maybe they'll get to Jesus. But you just write them off and find people just like yourself, and that's going to be your church. And you know what that is? According to the Bible, it's garbage. It's a pile of garbage. That is not the gospel. Imagine if 245 years ago in this country, in the South, that Christians who were black and Christians who were white would have enacted Philemon in their church life. Imagine what that would mean in our country that we live in right now. We can't change the past. But we can impact the future. And I don't know how long it's going to be until Jesus returns. If it's going to be 20 minutes or 2,000 more years. But let's do our part. So that 245 years hence, somebody can look back and say there was a church, there was a community that laid down their lives for the sake of Jesus to be lifted up, and they saw red and yellow, black and white, united in the gospel together for the glory of their King, who made very different people one under His Lordship. Do you believe that's possible? For much of this letter, Paul will address Philemon, his beloved brother and fellow worker for the cause of Christ. He will address him directly with the personal pronoun you. Now this is challenging in the English translations. In, in Greek, there's you singular, that's one word, and you plural, that's a different word. In English, it's the same word, you and you. Or as we say in the plural, y'all. <laughs> Much of Philemon does not use the word y'all. He's talking to you, Philemon. And yet, look at what Paul does in the opening of the letter. In the opening of the letter, you establish who's writing and who's receiving. And he's writing first to Philemon, but then he adds, Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in his house. This very personal letter, the whole church is going to be able to hear it. Who's Aphia? We're not sure, but most Bible scholars think it's likely Philemon's wife, who would have had responsibility for the day-to-day -day operations of the home, and especially responsibility for the servants. Archippus is also mentioned. We don't know who Archippus is. Some suggest it may have been Philemon and Aphia's son. Perhaps. But Colossians chapter 4, verse 17 gives us an indication that Archippus was likely a pastor in the church. 
Colossians 4.17 says this, Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. So Philemon, Aphia, Archippus, and finally, the church that gathers in your house. This means the whole church would have heard the letter as it was publicly read. And while this may have been done by Paul to bring some gentle pressure on Philemon and his family, what Paul is really doing is he's using this situation to teach the whole church about willing to lose so that the gospel can win. What are you not willing to give up for the sake of the gospel? As we will see, Philemon seems like an amazing man. We'll see that more next week. But I suspect that he would have been tempted, like me and perhaps like you, to say something like this when that letter showed up. But hold on a second, Paul. There wouldn't even be a church in Colossae without my house. I mean, the church got started in my house. I bought all the toilet paper for these people for the last three years. I got the Keurig machine. I bought the pods. They're not... They're not cheap. Those little pods are not cheap. Do you all know that? I mean, I try to find them on a deal. Get some coupons and load up. But we had the Keurig. We had the mugs. We paid for the water and the dishwasher. We did, we've done everything, Paul. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know this church wouldn't exist without my home, without me, without my money, without my history? Where is that in this conversation? And you will find that it is nowhere. Everybody in this house knows what Onesimus did to me and my family, and you just want me to let it go and bring him in here like he's my brother? Yes. Because that's what Jesus did for you. I imagine the church gave this letter the name Philemon because Philemon did exactly what the letter asked him to do. He humbled himself and welcomed Onesimus as his brother. And as a result of this sort of reconciliation that happened between master and slave, the church then flourished in every sector of society. If you're a Christian, there's going to be times that you have to deny your pride, your position, your preferences for the sake of the reach of the gospel, the good of the church, and the glory of our King. If we know of anything that we are holding on to besides the truth of Scripture and faithfulness to Jesus and obedience to His Word that we would not give up for the sake of Christ and the health of His church, then there's still work for the Spirit to do in us. Would you believe that people leave churches and refuse to be united with the church that God has placed them in for some of the silliest of reasons? I'm really preaching this morning. Did you know that happens? Three examples. All real examples. A church stopped doing vacation Bible school and tried a different ministry to kids because vacation Bible school was waning in its effectiveness. Not to mention every other church in the community was doing the exact same VBS and they found that it was just a Roller coaster of kids going from one church to the next, doing the same curriculum ten times in ten different churches over ten weeks, and it was functioning a lot more like child care than a gospel ministry. Guess what? The new ministry took off for the glory of Christ. Kids were saved. But you know what? Some of the, some of the key volunteers from that VBS program who had staked their life in it for 40 years, you know what they did rather than get that blessing? They left. 
I went to a church that still did the same old VBS. Missed out on the heart of Christ to take a new direction and reach a group of people. Another church realized that no one was being reached through their sports ministry, that they had started to try and reach kids who were far from God and families who were far from God. They looked around after 10 years and everybody that was coming to the sports ministry was, were Christian families. Everybody showed up. They, they already have a church home. They, they're already getting the gospel in their home. And so some of the leaders said, you know, we're not hitting the target that we thought we were going to hit with this ministry. We, it was a great idea, but it, it's, it's not having the intended outcome. And by the way, it's taking our families out of the rec program where there are lost people, so why don't we end our program and instead equip all the families who would play in our sports program to go into the rec club with information about the church and encourage them to come to the church. People left. A pastor shared a vision for a church in the community that looks like the community for the glory of Jesus Christ in that community. He had been at that church about 14 months. Wanted to get to know the people, the culture. And then he dropped a bomb on a Sunday morning in a January, cold January Sunday. and He said by 2025 he'd like to see 15 or more percent of the people in attendance coming from backgrounds that are non-white. Red, yellow, black, and white. It wasn't long after that he had a deacon in his office telling him he ought not preach like that. Telling me he needed to stop talking about being nimble and flexible and adaptable to do whatever it takes to reach others from different backgrounds than our own. This is the example that with which I am personally familiar. I said 15%, but he thought I said 50%. And I looked him in the eye and said, Sir, with all due respect, I didn't think I said 50%, but wouldn't that be great? North Roanoke, as long as you'll have me, that's, that's the mentality that I bring I want to see God save all kinds of people from all kinds of places, from all kinds of backgrounds. And it's happening. If you look around, it's happening. If you say, I don't look like the pastor, we want you here. Because I'm pretty ugly anyway, Pastor Hope tells me all the time. Now you might be thinking, how in the world... Can we live in this way? How in the world, when the, when the pressure of the world is coming against us, telling, retreat to your tribe, go to what's comfortable, go to what you know, give up on laying yourself down and, and get what's yours and get, get your rights. How in the world do we live like this? The answer comes in verse 3. Paul understands what he's going to ask Philemon to do can't happen without the grace and the peace of, that come from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So finally, church, we've got to understand that gospel-driven relationships require the grace and peace of God. For the church to be what God wants, we need grace and peace from both the Father and the Son. 
Paul understands that we're not going to be able to die to ourselves and reconcile with others in an ever-changing church unless we are grounded in the never-changing gospel. When we run away from how much we've been given through Christ, then we run back to clutching what we think is ours. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Church, we should never get over how much we've been given in Christ. All the sin and wrong and evilness, evil and wickedness that we've done, He took it upon Himself and He gave us His life in exchange. And so we need to be reminded of how much we've been given in Christ day by day. Not just grace when we get saved, but grace to remember the grace. John calls it in John 1.16, grace upon grace. Did you know we need grace to be reminded that we needed God's grace? And when you, when you live right there, recognizing that Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe, and He has indeed paid that price, guess what that brings to your life? No matter what's happening, it brings peace from God our Father. When you've got peace with God, you don't have to be a pretender. You don't have to clutch at what you think is yours. If your relationship is right with God because of what Jesus has done for you, it changes in your perspective on everything and allows you to lay your life down for the glory of Christ and the good of your neighbor. Church, we lived through what has been, I would argue, the most challenging year of my life. The temptation before us is to accept the narrative of the world, to throw up our hands and do what th we think is best for us, to ignore God's mission to reach others, to ignore God's mission that others in the world would come to saving faith in Christ, but church, Jesus still saves. It's still all about Jesus and His grace and His peace. And He did this so that we might become a part of welcoming still more into His family, no matter what it costs us. So North Roanoke Baptist Church, for the glory of Jesus, I'm calling afresh for us to lay down our lives and to pursue the lost and to pursue one another just like Jesus pursued us. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we thank You for the grace of Jesus Christ. We thank You for Your grace through His life and death and resurrection. And God, we thank You, as we saw last week, that, that every person is made in the image of God. And God's sin has messed that up, but through Jesus, the perfect image of God, we can be restored. And that's not just for white people or black people or brown people or yellow people or red people. It's not just for people who like country western. It's not just for people who like hip-hop. It's not, it's not just for people who live in, in the land of whatever pleases them right now. God, it is for every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation. It is for rich and for poor and for in-between. It is for young and it is for old. And God, I, I earnestly desire from the very core of my being that You would allow us to see Your reconciling power at work among all kinds of people across the Roanoke Valley. And God, that You would allow us the joy and the privilege of being a church in Roanoke, for Roanoke, that looks like Roanoke, for the glory of Christ our King. And God, that we would really be willing to take the low place 
so that our brothers and sisters could be lifted up and that Jesus Christ could be magnified. I ask that you would help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.